Good morning, everybody. I have had the crud for about a week now, so I'm very grateful and thankful to uh, have a voice to even speak to you because otherwise Jim was going to have to preach this morning, and I know you didn't want that. (laughs) I too was awakened this morning about four o'clock. God's alarm clock went off, big boom, and uh, been awake, uh, been awake ever since. Um, but I, I got up briefly and I, I went back to bed, uh, but I got a song that was in my head. That ever happened to you? You wake up and there's a song that's in your head and, and it just won't go away, and this was a fantastic song. It's a song by Hillsong United, and I've been listening to it this past week called What a Beautiful Name. How many of you know that song, What a Beautiful Name It Is? The name of Jesus Christ, my King. There's a, the, I think it's the second verse that says, He didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. And then it says, My sin was great, your love was greater. What can separate us now? What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And I know we've done this before, but I just want you to say the name of Jesus with me this morning because there is power in the name of Jesus. So say his name with me this morning, Jesus. Say it again, Jesus. And Father, we want to pray to you right now in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our hero, our King, the one who defeated death, the one who did not want heaven without us. And so, Father... Thank you for the sending of your Son that makes all things possible. And Father, we want to glorify him. We want to magnify his name this morning. And we pray in his powerful, precious, beautiful, holy name. Amen. Well, I thank Jared Altman for putting that video together. Um, He did a great job. um, And um, we're going to highlight different ministries that flow into what we're trying to be about here at uh, the Pine Tree Church of Christ, which is to make, mature, and multiply. And uh, that is exactly what we are about with Ghana Missions, making disciples. Uh, We've multiplied rapidly over the last 20-plus years. But um, we're leaving this Friday, and really the the main uh, point of what we're trying to do this trip uh, for the next two weeks is about really helping to mature. Um, You and I have everything at our disposal. We have every uh, version of the Bible, every translation we want to read. We can compare and contrast. We have concordances. We have videos. We have church. We have so many great teachers. Uh, The folks in Ghana have so, so little resources. Many of them, if we gave them a Bible, they wouldn't even be able to read it because they can't read. So it's really incumbent upon us to try to help not just make and baptize, but to, but to mature. And so we're going to leave Friday uh, from this church. We've got Martin Groover, uh, Doc Turk is going, I'm going, and uh, my lovely wife is making her first trip to, uh, to Africa. She is both excited and a little nervous. Uh, she's going to have the opportunity to speak at a ladies' day in Jojay, one of the, bigger, the biggest church uh, there in Ghana that we work with, and she will speak to probably five or 600 women. So uh, talk about baptism by fire, but... Um, she is excited and she is ready, and I don't know of anybody else uh, that would be able to do as good a job as, as she will do, so I'm very excited. That's the only bad thing about being gone to Ghana is that I'm away from 
for my family, but this time I'm going to be able to take, uh, take Paula with me. And so pray for us. We leave uh, Friday morning about 6 a.m. Uh, from Dallas, our flight leaves, so, so be in prayer for us. Um, I got three young college kids that I'm taking from the Point Church of Christ, which is over close to Emory, a little town called Point. Um, they're going, and uh, they're excited and nervous as well. So um, just keep us in your prayers that God uh, would bless us and that he is already going before us uh, and paving the way for that. I want to thank the shepherds of this congregation for the love and the support that you have given to um, Ghana missions over the last decade and that they continue to do. Uh, it would not happen without the money that this church gives, so I want to thank the leadership here with all my heart. <clears throat> I've been thinking and praying about what I wanted to say today. Um, we got a brand new preacher coming next week, and uh, you can meet him on Sunday morning, you can meet him on Sunday night, but if that doesn't happen, from what I understand, he's going to be here the week after, and the week after, and the week after. So uh, if you don't get a chance next Sunday, then just cool your jets. He'll be here, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, for many, many years to come. So I know you've been in prayer about this really for the last year, and now the fruition of that, uh, those prayers are going to take place. The sun is shining. Uh, God is blessing us this morning already. Uh, what was I going to say this morning? I had my brother texting me uh, a couple of, couple of days ago, said, just, just let the Spirit guide you. And I was trying to think, what, what would I say this morning? And I really think this plays into uh, what we're trying to be about, um, asking people to step up in our children's ministry, now asking people to step up in, in our youth ministry as uh, um, the Beavers are leaving and, and heading um, elsewhere. Um, so um, I, I really think this is going to be a, a benefit to us. I hope it is this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a lesson called the second mile. Um, and it's just one verse of scripture that I want us to deal with this morning. And this is very, very unlike me because um, normally I like to bite off a chunk of scripture and then you try to wrestle with it and exegete it and try to come up with what God is saying to us and then throw it out there and then see how it applies to us today. But this morning I want to share just one, one verse of scripture. So that really should mean that our sermon is going to be quite short, right? Wrong. Um, and I've got to let you know this before I start. I'm going to share the gist of a sermon with you that I heard when I was 19 years old. Back in 1900 and none of your business, a long time ago. A long time ago. I was a freshman, or maybe I was beginning my sophomore year at David Lipscomb uh, University. Uh, it was David Lipscomb College then. And um, a friend of mine invited me to go to a, um, a gospel meeting. You guys remember what gospel meetings were? A visiting preacher would come in, and he'd start on Sunday, and he would go to the next Sunday. When I was a kid, they would go Sunday, 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 two-week gospel meetings. But this is a one-week gospel meeting, and um, I did not want to go. But out of deference and kindness to my friend, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you Sunday night only. I'm just going to go with you one night. And I went, a little, it was a little church there in Nashville, and there was a visiting preacher named Wayne Kilpatrick, and he was a preacher in Birmingham, and he, he spoke like he was from Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, he began to preach, and he began to talk, and I was kind of captivated by the lilt of his voice, but... But I was also captivated by what he had to say. And he preached the sermon that I want to share with you this morning, or at least the gist of it. It's kind of morphed and changed through the years. 
But about 10 years after that fact, I was a youth minister in Mobile, Alabama, and we took a bunch of kids up to Homewood, the Homewood Church of Christ, which is where Wayne Kilpatrick was the preacher. And as luck would have it, or the providence of God maybe, I stayed in Wayne's house. He was keeping a handful of us uh, youth ministers, and um, we got up the next morning, we were eating breakfast, and uh, I said, Brother Kilpatrick, I don't know if you even remember this, but, but um, probably 10 or 11 years ago, uh, you came and did a, a little gospel meeting at a little bitty church in Nashville, and I went and I heard, I didn't want to go, but I went and I heard you, and after that I went back every night, and I said, but, but you preached a sermon, I think it was called The Second Mile or something like that. He said, oh, oh, that's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite sermons. I said, man, that made such an impact on me. I loved that sermon. I said, I would, I would love to have that sermon. He said, listen, I will have my secretary send you a cassette copy Shows you how far back. She'll send you a cassette copy, and I'll even um, mimeograph my notes and have her send those to you. I said, you would do that for me? He said, yeah. I said, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just going to steal it, and I'm going to preach it. And he said, listen, I stole it from a Baptist preacher years ago. So he said, it's yours. It's not mine. Just take it and preach it. So anyway, I want to share with you a verse of Scripture One verse is all we're going to look at this morning. It's called the second mile. A little, tiny hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, a small hill in Capernaum just outside the village, and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. But on that occasion, on that mount, took place one of the greatest sermons. No, it's it's really the greatest sermon ever preached, preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And so he taught them about abundant living and how to put their lives back together and how to be blessed and how to be happy, how to be well-adjusted. And I want to key in on that one little verse this morning, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. That's a pretty innocent-sounding sentence, isn't it? But if we would learn what Jesus is teaching here, we would learn one of the most basic principles for abundant living. Now, the background and the setting of this verse is very, very important. Otherwise, we don't really understand what's going on. Rome was sort of the the power of the day, right? They they ruled the known world. And when Rome would, would conquer a province or a town or a city, oftentimes they would erect a Roman yoke, and they would place that in the center of the city. Sometimes they would place it at uh, one of the, the, the gates that entered the city. And oftentimes they would make everyone pass underneath that yoke, and sometimes maybe just the leaders. And what they were doing was uh, making them uh, signify that they were going to give their obedience and their obeisance, their tribute, and many other things to Rome by passing under this yoke. And one of those other things was that if a Roman official, a Roman soldier, someone in the government, if they saw you, they could make you carry their bag or their pack for a mile. And I've also read that except under extreme emergencies, they couldn't make you carry it any farther than a mile, okay? So whatever you were doing, you just had to drop it and you had to carry their bag or their pack for a mile. I've also read that there were many Jewish men and boys who would pace off 
a mile from where they lived. They would walk 5,280 feet and they would place a peg in the road so they would know exactly how far they had to go and no farther. Teachers, does that sound familiar to you? I hate to bring up school because I know we just turned the page on that. But oftentimes, don't we, you know, when the teacher's teaching, we say, uh, do we need to know this for a test, right? Because what are we saying? If I don't need to know that, I don't really want to waste my time learning it. I don't want to think about it, okay? We want to do just what we have to do and no more. And that was the idea. I'm going to go a mile, but I'm not going to go any farther because I don't have to. You can't make me. Now, with this in mind, I want us to look at this group who's standing around the Christ. I can imagine that no one thing that Jesus ever said as he walked the streets of Jerusalem or the roads of Galilee upset an audience quite like this one little verse. They're listening intently. They're looking at one another, and they're, they're marveling at the way this teacher talks, and they say, this guy teaches as one who has authority. He doesn't teach like the leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. No, no. When he teaches, he speaks as one who has authority. What does that, what does that say about the leaders? I can see them clench their fist. Suddenly in their midst, he drops this bomb. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You mean he actually approves of the Roman Empire? He means that we're to obey this command to even go one mile? What in the world is wrong with this man? Possibly nothing that Jesus ever said shocked them any more than this did. And I think that Jesus deliberately made this obnoxious Roman rule a carrier for this great principle of life so that we would never overlook it and that so that we wouldn't miss it. It would be a tragedy, really, to miss the, this verse in Scripture. You will personally be, be made better by this verse. It'll help your business. It'll help your life. It'll help your family. So what does it mean? What does it mean in today's language, in today's vernacular? Just so you get a little dose of uh, feel before uh, it's all over with, what does it mean in cornbread English today? Well, it certainly doesn't mean to go literally another mile or carry somebody's bag for another mile. But what it means is do just a little bit more than you are required to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about, about being blessed, about the abundant life. And the whole sermon really is about this, and you can't have abundant life without it. True happiness comes through serving. True happiness doesn't come about come through hearing sermons about serving. True happiness comes through serving. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's really a fact of life, I think, that you get out of life what you give. Would you, would you agree with that statement? For the most part, you kind of get what you give in life. If you smile at somebody, what, ha what typically happens? They smile back at you, at least here in East Texas. I used to think this verse was, um, was sort of a threat. It kind of sounds like a threat when you read it sometimes. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? The one who sows to please a sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. 
But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So it kind of sounds scary. It almost sounds threatening. But really, it's just a fact of life. You reap what you sow. If you plant corn and God sends the rain and the sunshine comes up and it begins to grow, when it comes time to harvest, guess what you reap? You reap corn. And if you've been blessed, you reap a whole lot more than you sowed, right? The same is true in life. We get what we give. It kind of reminds me of the guy that took his family to the Grand Canyon and his son, they were standing at the, uh, the edge of the canyon and all of a sudden his son looks out and he was just amazed. And so he yelled out and he said, Hello! And he turned to walk away and all of a sudden he heard, Hello! So he said, Who is this? And a few seconds later, he heard, who is this? He said, what are you doing? And the boy said, what are you doing? So the young boy was starting to get a little bit frustrated, starting to get a little bit angry. And he said, stop mocking me. And the boy said, stop mocking me. So then the boy said, I hate you. And the boy said, I hate you too. (laughs) No, I didn't say too. Uh, but, but it came back at him. You understand what I'm saying, right? We, we, we tend to get what we give in life. It's just a fact of life. You can't be deceived. God cannot be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to break down this little verse this morning. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make a wealthy man out of you. It'll make a wealthy woman out of you. There was a man, he was 38 years old, and he was retiring. 38 years old, and he was retiring. I'm going to have to kick it in gear if I'm going to do that, okay? I'm going to have to roll back time a little bit. Uh, it reminds me of the man who, who was a millionaire, and uh, he said, I'm a millionaire, and I owe it all to my wife. And they said, well, what were you before you were married? He said, I was a multi-millionaire. So, um, anyway... Um, Guy, he's 38 years old, he's retiring, and at the end of the week, they're going to give a a, a huge banquet in his honor, and he said, listen, at the end of the week, I'm going to give you um, my rule for living, the thing that has made me what I am today. Everybody was clamoring, they wanted to know uh, what it was, he said, no, just wait, just wait, to the end of the week, I'm going to give you my secret to life. Here it is. They invited magazines, TV, radio. Everybody was going to be there. At the end of the week, they gave this banquet. They heaped all their praises on him, giving him plaques and awards. And then finally he stands up and he says, all right, I know you've been waiting. You've been waiting uh, all this time, and I'm now going to give you the motto for my life. And it's wrapped up in these three words. Everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat, cameras rating. He said, here's my motto, here's the secret, and then some. They were all kind of surprised. They didn't quite quite understand, and so he said, let me explain. He said, when I was a student in school, I did everything my teachers asked me to do, and then some. And he said, I graduated valedictorian of my class. 
He said, when I went to college for four years, my professors would hand out a syllabus and they would say, this is how you're going to be graded in my class. We're going to have these papers, these essays. You're going to have to get up and give these oral reports. And he said, at the very first class, he said, I would go to, this, to the professor and I would say, you know, I like to do extra work. So if there's any extra thing you'd like for me to do, any uh, extra reports, any books that I could read to get extra credit, I would love to do that. And he said, for four years, I did everything that every one of my professors had a right to expect, expect out of me, and then some. And he said, again, I graduated at the top of my class, valedictorian. You know, we just had high school graduation. Most of you have already graduated. Folks uh, have graduated this weekend. Um, you know, some folks, when they graduate with honors, they graduate um, cum laude. There, you know, there are different levels. Some graduate cum laude, and some graduate uh, magna cum laude, and some graduate um, summa cum laude. And some of us graduate just praise the Lordy, you know, we, we just make it, okay? But, but he graduated at the top of his class. He said, many people offered me a job. He said, I picked one with a company that I thought I had room to grow and that I could climb the ladder of success. And he said, for every year I was there, I did everything that my employer had a right to expect out of me and then some. And he said, I grew and I grew. And he said, I, I started leapfrogging men who'd been in that company way longer than I had been. And he said, I found myself as the president of that company. He said, I worked for him for a few more years, but I realized that the only way I was going to really, really get ahead and make it in life was to own my own business. So he said, I started my company, and he said, every, company, every customer who walked through the front door of my business, he said, I gave him everything that he or she had a right to expect out of me, and then some. And he said, I began to grow, and I began to grow, and my business grew, and he said, I climbed the ladder of success. And he said, that is the motto. That is the secret to my success. And you say, Roddy, that's smart. Uh, where did he get that from? He got it from right here. If anyone compels you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Do everything that everybody has a right to expect out of you, and then some. So let's break this down. I want to share with you the second mile. The second mile always leaves a deposit of happiness in the heart of the one who travels it. Picture with me, okay? Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. There's a fellow there who hears him speak, and he gets so angry when he heard him say, go the extra mile. He says, I won't do it. I won't do it now. I won't do it tomorrow. I hate this rule, and I'll never do that. So one day this man is out working in his field, he's got his hoe and he's tending to his corn, he's um, propping up his vines, and a Roman soldier looks at him, hey, you, come over here and carry my bag. Me? Yeah, you, come carry my bag. He can feel the heat, he can feel the blood rising, he doesn't want to do it, but he knows that's what the law says. So he throws his hoe down. <laughs> I just said hoe down <laughs> in church. <laughs> you can't say hoe down in church. <laughs> um, he throws down his hoe. <laughs> Woo, it's getting hot in here. He throws the implement down. And he goes and he carries the bag. He picks up the bag, 
and he's walking in every step of the way. Man, I, if I could, I'd like to just choke this. I, man, I, if I could punch him in the face, you know. And he, he finds himself, and he, he gets to the peg in the middle of the road. And he takes that bag, and he throws it down, and he says, There, that's all I can do. You can't make me do anymore. Stomps his way back to his farm, picks up that farm implement, Starts to work again, but now he's tearing things up. He's doing more harm than he is good. He walks home, and he comes in, and his wife says, Wow, you're home early. Why are you home so early? He says, Woman, where's my supper? Why isn't the food fixed? And she says, Well, you're home early. I didn't know you were coming home so early. Well, he said, Well, just get my food ready. And the kids hear, Daddy, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Get off of me, you little snotty-nosed kid. It's all you do is want to climb up in my lap. Can't you see I'm tired and I'm... You know, I, you see, that's what happens. That's what happens when we're so worried about doing just what we have to do. I'm going to do this much and no more. What if we practice the second mile? Jewish boy's out. He's working in his field. He's got his farm implement, and he's, he's working. And, hey, you, come carry my bag. Me? Yeah, you, come, come carry my back. So he props up the hoe, goes and he picks up the, the bag and he starts to carry. They walk along for a few feet and a few hundred yards and he says, hey, I hear you're from Rome. Soldier looks at him kind of perplexed. Yeah, I'm from Rome. Well, tell me about Rome. You know, I've always wanted to go. My, my wife and kids, we'd like to go sometime. If I were to go to Rome, what would I do? Where would I go? What would I want to see? Well, you know, you got the Colosseum, you got all this kind of stuff. There's some great Italian food I hear. And so um, they're walking and they're talking, and, and he says, do you have any children? Roman uh, soldier says, well, well, yeah. So he reaches into his toga, and he pulls out his wallet and starts showing <laughs> pictures of his kids. I got a couple of kids of my own. So they walk and they talk, and then finally the Roman soldier says, hey, stop, stop. He says, you know, we... We passed the peg in the road a long time ago. I, I saw it there, and I know that you don't have to carry my bag anymore. He says, hey, look, it's no problem. He said, I, I, didn't, mind, I didn't mind carrying it at all. And he said, in fact, uh, I, 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 it, was, it was just a, a blessing to me. And the guy said, you know, if you ever come to Rome, here's my card. Look me up. I'd love to give you a guided tour. So the Jewish man walks back, and he picks up his farm implement, Begins to work, and he really, everything's looking good, and he, he, he does everything he needs to do, and he finishes early. He comes home, and he comes in the door, and his wife says, wow, you're home early. He says, yeah, man, I just had a great day. You're not going to believe what happened to me. And his kids say, daddy's home, daddy's home. And they run and jump up in his lap, and gets, he slobbers on them, gives them kisses, and they love their daddy, and, and home life is great. You see what practicing the second mile can do for us? The second mile always leaves a deposit in the heart of the one who travels it. Secondly, the second mile calls for the best in others. Oh, I don't have time to share this story with you. We're, uh, we're running out of time. The second mile calls for the best in others. Not only does it leave a deposit in the happiness of the one who travels it, but it also brings out the best in other people. When they begin to see your heart, when they begin to see the kindness and the love that you show, something tends to happen in their heart as well. And it also will bring out the best in them. 
The second mile lightens life's burdens. If practiced by one in the home, it could transform the entire home. Often, the love mile. You see, the first mile is the law mile. You got to go the law mile. The second mile is the love mile. And often, the love mile is practiced less in the home than any other place. Oftentimes, we treat visitors and acquaintances better than we do people in our own homes, don't we? Men, how many of you have a favorite chair at home? Come on. When you come home, somebody's in your chair, what do you do? Get out of my chair, right? When we invite people over for dinner, what do we do? Hey, sit here, right? Sometimes we practice the love mile less at home than we do anywhere else. Here's a husband. He's getting ready to go to work in the morning. His wife is a mother. She's put her career on hold. She's staying home. So she's standing there, and she's washing dishes. And he runs down, and he says, baby, I've got a, I've got a button loose on my coat. I'm, I'm running late for work. Can you sew this back on for me? She takes her hands out of the dishwater. She turns around and looks at him, stares at him just for a second. She knows she's going to sew the button on. She just stands there for a minute, and she gets her towel and kind of dries her hands off, and she says, your buttons can come loose at the most inopportune times. She takes that coat, and she sits down, and she gets a needle and thread. She begins to, to sew it, and she, she looks at him. Y'all ever remember, remember that show, uh, LaWanda Page was on it? What, what show am I talking about? She said, you fish-eyed fool. You remember what I'm talking about? She kind of gave him that look. Red Fox was the main guy on it. Y'all, y'all, it'll come to me later. She's, she's sewing that button on, and he's standing there, man. You know, he's just, I'm not going to say anything. She gets through sewing his button on, she just throws it on the table, and she says, next time, let me know in advance when your buttons are going to come loose. He grabs the coat and he slinks out the door and he thinks to himself, I have married the devil's daughter. <laughs> and he has. He goes to work. Sometime later on in the week, she comes and she says, baby, I've had a few extra expenses this week. The money is, is running tight. I need a little bit extra money. He pulls his wallet out. He says, woman, do you think money just grows on trees? I mean, what do you do with all the money I give you? What if the second mile had been practiced in that home? Guy comes downstairs. He says, baby, I, I, I got a button loose on my jacket, and I've got, I'm running late for work. Can you help me out? And she, she pulls her hands out of that dishwater, and she says, baby, I just love sewing buttons on for you. So she grabs her, her needle and her thread. She begins to sew. She sews that thing on as quick as she can. She holds that coat out for him. He turns and slips it on, and she puts her arms around him and whispers into his ear, go get him, Tiger. He walks out the door. He's got the power walk. He says, man, I'm married to an angel. And he is. Later on in the week, he comes back, and his wife says, baby, I've had some extra expenses. I don't know where, the, where all the money's gone, and we've had some extra things come up. And he says, look, I don't know how you stretch a dollar as far as you do. How much do you need? Now, we might laugh at that, but I'm going to tell you what. If we begin to practice the second mile in our homes, 
it would change the way that we live. Our children would grow up in an atmosphere of joy and goodwill. We've got to skip a bunch of stuff here. Lastly, I want you to know this. God went the second mile. Jesus never gave us a commandment that he did not live. The greatest second mile ever presented to the world was Jesus himself. God created a beautiful world. He filled it full of lovely conveniences that would add to our happiness. He gave us a guidebook and a thousand things to remind us of himself and all of his goodness. And yet despite all this, just like that very first couple in the garden, man turned away from God. But God sent Jesus. He went the second mile. And John recorded it like this. For God so loved the world. Read this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I, I memorized this in the King James, like many of you did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's the way you wanted to say it, wasn't it? His only begotten Son. His one and only. His unique Son of promise. That if we would put our trust and our hope and our faith in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. The day came when Jesus went to the cross. They had driven great nails in his hands and in his feet, and they left him to die in agony. But in the midst of it all, he lifted his face quietly up to his father, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The second mile. Have you been practicing the second mile in your homes? Have you been practicing the second mile at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community? Can you now see the benefit of not only going the law mile, but also going the love mile? Do you really fully understand the second mile that Jesus went for you? I hope you do. If you need to respond to that sort of love this morning, if you've never named the name of Jesus, if you've never confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, you could do that this morning. And if you believe in him, we will baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he will wash away every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. And he will promise you the gift of his Holy Spirit. If, as a child of God, you haven't been practicing the second mile, maybe you just need the prayers of this body, would you let us pray for you this morning? Come right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.